Hello once again and welcome to The Debrief Live. I'm Angus Scott. What a month it is turning out to be on the transfer front. Stragerson and Werner in at Spurs. Sancho and Dyer now in Germany. Our transfer guru Fabrizio Romano will be here shortly with all the latest news. For Chelsea, it's been relatively quiet. A few loans out and some recalls, but nothing to get too excited about. Does that mean things are calming down? at Stamford Bridge. Well, even if that's true, Ben Jacobs always gets us excited with news from the bridge. Ben, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. I don't think Chelsea is ever calm, but you're absolutely right in what you say. They haven't moved yet, so we're either going to be in for a surprise, quiet, normal day at Chelsea, or we're going to have a crazy few weeks ahead. I think the latter for you, Ben, definitely, and you know it. Um, and also with us today is Scott Trotter from Football London. Always great to have another Scott on the show. Uh, Scott, welcome to the debrief. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, it's uh, it's our pleasure. Right, where are we, Scott? Do you think on uh, Chelsea's plans to turn the club around? Um, a difficult one, I, I guess. Looking at it from kind of a broad stroke approach, um, kind of mid table, you would say not very far far through i think um i think the summer you know the the club's ownership uh took charge of the club 18 months or so ago now but i think the summer really was the big starting point for the club they obviously put in place their own sporting team the likes of lawrence stewart and paul and stanley about 12 months ago and kind of from that point we're seeing more of what chelsea want to do what stamp on the club they hope to have and and obviously you know last summer Kind of the arrival of Maurizio Pochettino and almost unprecedented turnover, both incomings and outgoings uh, for the club. And things since then, I guess, have, have taken a little while to settle. There's been a massive number of injuries, so things are kind of, we're still learning a lot about what this Chelsea squad has to offer, what maybe they're capable of. They're obviously still in the Carabao Cup, though, of course, had that defeat to Middlesbrough. I think for the first time what feels like a long time they, they moved into the top half of the table away from 10th position I think this weekend after the win over Fulham but still massive kind of uncertainty around the club I guess and maybe you know transfer window brings up more questions as always but yeah still lots of work for Chelsea to do and I think yeah maybe a discord in terms of what to expect when you have this billion pound figure that's so often hanging over the club and what that should mean for how quickly they should see success as well. Yeah, Ben, you've been with it all the way through from sort of behind the scenes, seeing how this this takeover has been managed. Where do you feel uh, the board and the owners now feel they are 18 months into this project? Presumably a little bit happier because results are just beginning to turn a corner potentially. Well, I think the same thing happened with Graham Potter. There was a run that staved off the pressure and then they took two steps backwards, having made one step forwards. So the ownership at Chelsea perhaps appreciate that there have been challenges and I think everybody accepts that it's been a slower process. But part of the ambition comes, I think, with risk simply because Chelsea is a big club with a huge history of winning trophies. And when you have this amount of change this fast, and spend so much money, there has to be an instant return and a now part to the project that has been lacking, whereas the future stuff is very intriguing. And 
could well pay off. But I think fans, and this is where the noise comes from, are getting worried and frustrated and putting scrutiny on all of the P words like patience, progress, and ultimately project. And 18 months on, I think that Chelsea are in a better place in terms of structure. And I think the owners have always tried to ignore some of the noise, even though my understanding is they'd listen to the fan base and they can at times even be swayed by it. But ultimately, they've got a business strategy. They're well aware of their own finances. And they are still confident that this will pay off in the long run, both for Chelsea and in the multi-club model. But in the short term, there's an acceptance, for example, that the 100-day review happened very fast and there was a lot of board upheaval and there were exits on the recruitment side before there were hires. Then I think there was a feeling that they were swayed in the market and there were clearly a few panic buys in the first window. And that was normal because Todd Bowley was sporting director. He hadn't done it before. And Thomas Tuchel was obviously there and suddenly gone. And his relationship with Bowley and Bedag Egbali was not ideal, professionally speaking, if we're talking about Tuchel being the right fit strategically and as a personality. So that was a factor. Then flash forwards, and they obviously had a big summer and a big January, but January's tough mid-season. Graham Potter was under pressure. He went. Pochettino comes in. The first window that Pochettino joins, there's naturally going to be a bedding-in period, and Chelsea's recruitment team had already had plans in place. So we're now in a position where this is the first window where Pochettino has bedded in. It's probably only the second or third when the recruitment team has bedded in. Chelsea have had a bunch of injuries. It's a young squad. They've had a lot of scrutiny on them. So I think these teething problems and these challenges, even if some of them could have been foreseen, are normal in many ways. And I think that when I talk to Chelsea sources, my overriding feeling is that they accept there's been an unstable period and they also accept that the team is lower than they want because the aim for this season was still Champions League football before a ball was kicked but that's not actually made them question their project and they still believe that this overarching plan in the long term will pay off and also is progressing but but this this plan you talk about Ben is it Chelsea focused or is it multi-sport um focused with eyes elsewhere and Chelsea is just a bit part of that well it's both so you've got Bluco and you've got Chelsea and Bluco is multi-club and they've got Strasbourg almost 100% and they're looking in the market in South America and in Europe and the multi-club allows for the buying of youth and pathways and remember this isn't only about Chelsea and feeding up to Chelsea this is also about essentially cashing in on your failures. So everyone you bring, you hope is a success. Maybe they end up at Chelsea. Maybe they find a level at Strasbourg or another club that they invest in. But if they don't, the key thing is that from a multi-club perspective, the fees have to be investments, not expenses. And if they're investments, not expenses, then if the player works out, you've got a bargain, financially speaking, and you've got them young and ahead of the market. If they don't work out, you can sell them and still make a profit. So it's win-win, either for Chelsea or from a financial perspective. So there's an element of City Football Group build up to Chelsea. There's an element of Red Bull, let a player start in the group. And then if they're not a fit for the group, ultimately, because there's no pathway to Chelsea, you sell them and that helps Bluco at least balance their books. And all that's very well. But I think, Scott, from Chelsea's point of view, 
fans at the moment maybe won't care too much about multi-club model. They just want to know about Chelsea. They want to know where the goals are coming from, where the leadership's coming from and where the identity is coming from. And Chelsea has to almost, even though it's a bit inverse strategically for a multi-club model, Chelsea, I sense, has to get it right first before there will be buy-in for the multi-club strategy because one to the fans is about the now and one might sound very exciting but is ultimately not just Chelsea focused and has to be more for the future. And if Chelsea isn't fixed first, then it might be very difficult for this fan base to get on board. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, Chelsea, if nothing else in, in its history, has been about results. It has been about winning trophies. And that is something that they have, I guess, prided and made their identity from. And, you know, it's not too long ago that that they had Champions League success in, I guess, what you could have considered a fallow period for the club in terms of maybe where they were at in development. Obviously, a lot of those players have since moved on. I think, you know, this idea of all these young guys who have been signed in the summer and that kind of combines with a lot of this kind of multi-club model focus signing players while they're young while the value can appreciate why you can get a good deal is all well and good but then to hear it kind of maybe an excuse is a tad dramatic but hear it used as a an excuse for why the club aren't succeeding on the pitch as quickly as what you know supporters are used to doesn't really cut the mustard and i think you know, it gets talked about all the time that the billion pounds spend that puts an outside pressure on, maybe not from fans who do have a little bit more understanding when they see what kinds of players have been signed. But that pressure is always there. And when you see, you know, the likes of Manchester City, Liverpool, even Arsenal to an extent kind of thriving, I think what has probably not helped this season is how well Tottenham started the season as well. They kind of went through their own transformation under the summer under a new boss. And that that's obviously a, a real test. And I guess the challenge really is at the moment. It's, it's not because Chelsea aren't challenging for the Premier League, not challenging for the Champions League. It's because they have been a mid-table team. And maybe there's been some protection because of how poor last season was. But I think there is that moment. And, and we saw it after that Middlesbrough result and a few other kind of disappointing results of late. I think there's an element, uh, a cohort of the fans who are ready to kind of turn on perhaps the manager or the owners um because of these like disappointing results and you know the only way to stave that off will be by winning and showing that they can contend for a european spot as well yeah i mean if you if you win all fans keep quiet don't they they don't care how it is you just want to be further up the table and 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 any sort of reshaping of a club needs to happen as as quickly as possible if you're sitting standing on the terraces you just want your your team to be better uh, do keep your comments coming in we welcome them uh, already coming in from uh, smoke signals the chelsea model is simply in progress fans have to be patient this is a total rebuild would you suggest Ben, this is a total rebuild as opposed to a sort of tinkering around the edges to perfect the model. Well, it's a four-window strategy for Chelsea, regardless of the bigger picture. And part of that is an inheritance of an older squad. Some players wanted to depart. Some Chelsea wanted to keep, but they were unable to do so in the last summer window. And Golo Kante is a good example. But in that first window, you're talking about a range of players. Rudiger is one example that wanted to leave. And then when you add the fact that there's a need in this project to get the average age down, and we're not talking about a bunch of 16, 17, 18-year-olds, there's also that replacing a 30, 32-year-old with a 
21 to 25 year old potentially as well. So it's 25 and under and a revamp in different areas was needed out of necessity, I think, under Thomas Tuchel, who was screaming at that time for centre-backs and also ended up bringing in Aubameyang towards the end of the window, which felt like very much a Tuchel signing, but a bit of a panic buy in many ways. And then now, flashing forwards, it's been more of a midfield revamp. And we've obviously seen Enzo Fernandez come in in the January before this one, and also Moises Caicedo for big money and Romia Lavia as well. And then when you add Leslie Okwachuku and Conor Gallagher is still there, there definitely has been a revamp. But when you revamp one area, you then start to look at the next one and the next one. So they've brought in a couple of young goalkeepers and Petrovic is doing well. Centre-backs were a big priority. They sorted that. Midfield was a big priority. They sorted that. But within this one billion still no elite level striker that you feel is going to get you 20 plus goals. So I think the priority for Chelsea is a revamp within the project, both to get the quality and to challenge for the Champions League and ultimately the title, but also at the same time to give longevity. So then it's a new era under this ownership. And once they've done it all in this full window strategy, hopefully things will calm down. Because remember, moving in a window, as exciting as it is, can be very negative. And this is why if Liverpool don't move, it's usually because they're happy with what they've got. So doing nothing in a window can be a sign of a healthy club. Doing too much in a window can be a sign of a club that's got things wrong in the past and has greater urgency. But add to that also the injuries that Chelsea have had too. And naturally, they have to change their strategy a bit, Scott, and look in the market in areas that they maybe were not planning for. And I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I was looking at the starting 11 against Fulham. And then I was thinking, what kind of similarities will I see, let's just say, first game of next season? Will Petrovic be in goal or will it be back to Sanchez? Will Levi Colwell be at left-back or will he be starting at centre-back? Silver can have left the club. De Sassi might not be the starting centre-back. And obviously when Rhys James is fit, Malo Gusto won't be the right-back. You then look at that midfield and you say, well, it is probably Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo, but that means maybe no Conor Gallagher. He played further forwards against Fulham, but Nkunku's going to come back. Cole Palmer's going to be in that side. Raheem Sterling started the game, but maybe Mudrick starts the first game of next season. And there's almost no way that Broya would start. So when I added it up with the injuries, I realized that it's maybe only four or five that are guaranteed a start if everybody is fit. So do you sort of sense, Scott, that the project plan is one thing, but the need to move in a different direction, be flexible and adapt because of circumstances, whether that's injuries or a lack of leadership, is actually a more pressing concern for Chelsea at the moment. And that's why maybe in this market and maybe in their model, they need to be able to change their strategy a little bit to be more now focused. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is where the uncertainty rises because I think the injuries, not only does it kind of create this question of should they move now to find an answer that can maybe help them towards the end of the season, it's they still don't know what they've actually got in the squad for the long term because they've not been able to try and utilise all of these players to see where they fit in. They don't know whether Christopher Nkunku is going to adapt to the Premier League and deliver, you know, 10, 20 goals in the season to, you know, stop them needing somebody like a, an Osman or a Tony. There's, that uncertainty is kind of creating a moment of pause for the club. They, they still need to kind of consider what is best 
in, in all those positions you mentioned because they have had so many injuries. And I think even just thinking back to, to pre-season, we saw how important Nkunku was going to be, but probably also Kani Shukwameka. Um, they kind of fulfilled the same role in the team, but obviously both were out within you know two weeks of the season starting. And we saw formation changes and something quite different to what we'd seen develop out in the United States. Maybe there's a hint that that could return now um, with, with both those guys nearer returns. And yeah, I think there is just so much uncertainty. Obviously, Colwell has been a massive talking point for, for fans and anybody interested in football given his, his prowess in the centre of defence. But Chilwell came back against Fulham and once again was was utilised on the wing. So that that is kind of... These areas of really big questions. There's questions over Thiago Silva's future going forward. Could this finally be his last season at 39 at Chelsea? Does that see Colwell moving and things move on in that regard? Again, it is just so uncertain, and that's what makes the you know the last two weeks of this window really interesting. I think obviously you mentioned about that kind of four window plan. I think there is some notion in the forward positions in particular that either by the end of this window or the next window. There could be, you know, that big money forward arrive or the group that they've got will have shown that they have the ability to carry the burden. And that's where Chelsea lie. <laughs> and I think, you know, the next six months that is going to be a massive period of discovery. Um, you mentioned the midfield, obviously, they, they signed the big signings. Conor Gallagher played way better than I think anybody at the club probably expected him to going into the season. He was probably expected to leave last summer. Um, obviously, uncertainty around his future once again. And I think... They obviously have to be careful in multiple regards because I think there's a consideration that, yes, Gallagher's played well, but it's how long can he sustain that quality for? Is that the level of player he now is? Or is, you know, this, this kind of touted sale, should they receive a fee? And it won't be cheap. Um, is it still right for the club in, in the long term for him to perhaps move on? And I think, you know, there are all these conversations floating around the sporting directors. They're obviously in conversation with Pochettino probably every day at the moment and the owners and you know I think looking at last January and, and how Enzo Fernandez wasn't going to happen at one stage and then you get into the last couple of days and it does anything anything could still happen in the last two weeks for Chelsea well do keep your comments uh, coming we'll get through as many questions a little bit later on but um a big part of this project is, of course, is spending and transfer. So let's chat to our transfer guru, the one and only Fabrizio Romano, and find out what the transfer news is from Chelsea and elsewhere. Fabrizio, good to have you with us again. Now, let's start by talking about Chelsea. That's our topic of the podcast this week. Any movements on a striker? Not yet, I would say. At the moment, it's still quite a Chelsea. Uh, still waiting to understand what happens with the uh, Christopher Nkunku injury. Chelsea remain optimistic on that, but obviously they are still waiting for the situation to be assessed and so to have clarity about the conditions of, of Christopher Nkunku and then they will decide on the striker. But again, at the moment, they feel that it's very difficult to find the right option around uh, on the market. It's complicated to find strikers in general and strikers at Chelsea level. So it's not guaranteed that they will sign a striker, but they're still exploring options around. So let's see, we still have two weeks to go. If Chelsea choose an older option, short term with a bit of experience, then maybe they could explore the Saudi market. There's fresh links today, Fabrizio, around Karim Benzema and Bobby Firmino could either be on Chelsea's radar or could either exit somewhere else in January. 
I don't think it's going to be that easy eh, to sign these players on loan from Saudi clubs. Uh, I'm not sure at all that it's going to be easy, especially in the case of, of Karim Benzema. Uh, I know there are a lot of stories around in the, in the last two, three days, but at the moment I'm told that there is still nothing concrete in terms of negotiations or nothing advanced yet. So let's see how the situation will be at Alitiad. They have a new director now, former Real Betis Raumon Planes, who will take care of the situation. So let's see how this contact between Planes and Benzema will be in the next days to understand the next steps of this story. But at the moment, is still not something concrete or advanced. And in the case of Firmino, I think it's just about being offered to different clubs as an opportunity, as we know that he could leave Al-Etifat in the next in the next days. But at the moment, it's still also in this case not something concrete or advanced. So I think we have to wait for Chelsea to decide who is the player they really want, or if they want to wait for the summer transfer window. Well, Trevor uh, Chalabar is expected to to leave, isn't he? Um, where's his most likely destination? Do you think, Fabrizio? I think it's going to be Premier League. Uh, from what I'm hearing, the priority of the player is to stay in England, uh, is to have an opportunity in England also to play on a regular basis. Uh, usually when you leave in January, it's very difficult to find in another country uh, the opportunity to play immediately, especially in the case of Trevor Shaloba, who is not playing since a long time. He's got injured uh, two, three months ago. So now for the player, it's really important to play. So I expect him to leave and I expect him to, to stay in the Premier League. Then let's see what kind of opportunities there will be. I'm hearing that there will be contacts this week, probably today, tomorrow, to understand the options and the opportunities for the player. But I still see Trevor Shaloba leaving Chelsea in the January week. What about Pochettino? Is his is his job safe for now? Um, I, I suppose even if he loses to Middlesbrough in the Carabao Cup um, semi final, is he is he safe? Yes, from what I'm hearing, yes. Uh, at the moment, the situation is still the same. Chelsea decided to trust Mauricio Pochettino. Obviously, uh, we know that into football you need you need to get results, but at the same time, now the situation is quite good in terms of performances in the Premier League. The one with Middlesbrough was disappointing, but in general, Chelsea see the progress under Mauricio Pochettino. Chelsea know that it's going to take time, so it's about the owners, the directors. They still trust the manager. Nothing has changed. And my feeling is that their idea is to continue with with Pochettino at least till the end of the season. Then at the end of the season, they will speak and, and decide together what they want to do. But at the moment, I don't see any, any problem, any issue. And they want to, to continue with him. Then again, let's see if Chelsea will keep performing at this level as in the recent weeks. But their idea is to, to have Mauricio Pochettino as the man for the project. Let's move on to Arsenal. We know that midfield might be a priority. Douglas, Luis, you've spoken about before, but very difficult to get given Aston Villa are flying. So what about Martin Zubimendi, another historical Arsenal target? Could they come back in for him? I think it's even more difficult to Zubimendi in January for, for one reason, that for Real Sociedad is an historical, historical season. They have the chance to play in the round of 16 of the Champions League. And trust me, Martin Zubimendi is not happy at Real Sociedad. He's more than happy. He's in love with the club. Uh, knowing the boy a bit, I know that he's super, super happy there. Real Sociedad means the world to him. And so to play Champions League with that shirt, to have the possibility to play in the round of 16 against Paris Saint-Germain is something super special. So to change his mind has to be something completely crazy. And at the moment, this is not happening. Even when Barcelona wanted him in the past, he was always like, OK, thank you. I appreciate that, but I want to stay at Real Sociedad. He loves the city, he loves the fans, he loves the club. So I think it's going to be very difficult to make the deal happen in January. Uh, for sure, the player is on Arsenal shortlist with Douglas Lewis and with other players. He's super appreciated. This is true. But I think a January move for Subimendi is complicated. The list closes there in 60 million euros, but you also have to convince the player. And it's not to reject Arsenal. It's just for the player to have this possibility to play Champions League football round of 16 at Real Sociedad. 
a more likely January transfer is Calvin Phillips, but he is still at Manchester City for now. Many seem to believe that won't be the case by the end of the window. We know about the Newcastle interest, Crystal Palace seemingly looking at the player as well. What's the latest? Yeah, the expectation for Man City is to have an important loan fee, the salary covered. So it's a loan, but it's, it's an expensive loan. So it's not easy. This is why, for example, Juventus decided to leave the conversations. They were in advance talks in December to sign Calvin Phillips. Then they decided not to spend that amount of money for a player who is not staying at Juventus on long term. So the idea, for example, is for Man City to, to, to have some conversation in the next days to understand what's the best option for Calvin, but the plan remains the same for him to leave and to have the opportunity to play and to go to the Euros because this is absolutely crucial for, for the player. So my expectation is for Newcastle to be still there because they've always been interested in the player and he could be a solution for, for them. Crystal Palace, as you mentioned, are, are interested and could be a possibility. And then I would add West Ham to this uh, shortlist because West Ham have always been a big fan of, of Calvin Phillips. I think these three clubs are keeping close eye to the situation, probably hoping for Man City to reduce their asking price in the in the upcoming days. And what about Liverpool? Top of the table, um, Fab, but it seems they're pretty quiet and have been so far during the window. Are we expecting to stay that way? Yes, at the moment, yes. The only thing I heard in, in the last two, three weeks about Liverpool is that they were looking at some opportunity at, on the centre-backs market. So if maybe there was some player available in that position... But Liverpool are not desperate to sign a player. They also have Kwanza, who is doing great and is a young talent. So in case they find an opportunity, Liverpool can look at the market. Otherwise, they're very happy with the squad they have. And the only contacts I was told about is about the, the, the centre-back position. So let's see if there's going to be something else. But I see Liverpool very happy with the squad they have. Uh, I think Liverpool will focus on the summer transfer window, as they usually always do. I think this is going to be the strategy once again. Uh, and finally, Fabrizio, let's uh, turn to Bayern Munich. Um, you know, we've had some players coming in there, uh, but what about players going out? Eric Chipper Moting and Joshua Kimmich. Could, could we see either of them potentially come to the Premier League this year? Yes, I think in January, Bayern will, will just try to add one more right back because Tuchel need a player in that position and the player they want is Nordi Mukiele from Paris Saint-Germain. So this week there will be new conversations with PSG and player side, but the player wants to go to Bayern. And then their focus is going to be keep this squad till the end of the season and then negotiate on contracts. For Bayern, it's really important to discuss contracts of some of the players you mentioned. For Chupomoting, my idea is for Bayern to try to keep the player at the club because, okay, they have Eric Kane and they have Matis Tell, who is a super talent, but Chupomotin can help in the rotation till the end of the season. So they're still hoping for him to stay. In case some English club can come and offer some money for a loan deal, I think the story could be still open. So Chupomotin is probably the only one who could leave Bayern, but he's not that guaranteed or that sure because Bayern will try to keep the entire squad at the club. And then for Joshua Kimmich, no chance to leave in January. This is very clear. Uh, for Bayern, this is not a topic. They want him to stay. They want him to be an important part of the squad for the for the second part of the season and for the future. And so to discuss a new deal with Joshua Kimmich, to understand what happens with Alfonso Davies, to have a conversation also with Jamal Musiala in the next month in terms of new contract, this is going to be very important for Bayern. I think this is also one of the reasons why they decided to save some money in the January transfer window. They signed Eric Dyer on a cheap deal. Uh, Mukiela is probably going to be a loan with an option to buy uh, for uh, for Bayern so to save some money also because they want to invest on new contracts this could be part of the strategy at Bayern and so I think it's going to be an important first half of the year for Bayern to negotiate new deals with these players That's brilliant Fabrizio as ever we appreciate your time and we will speak to you again next week 
Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Ciao. 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 Great to see you. Still doesn't look bad on uh, two hours kip every night uh, during January. He's do he's doing all right, old Fab. Um, look, uh, thank you for all your questions coming in. As I said, we will go through uh, some of those. We threw plenty at uh, Fabrizio, but one that keeps coming up, and and it's obviously the Victor Osimen connection. Fab has uh, week in week out said that it's it's not likely to happen during this transfer window at all. If it's happening at all, it's happening. Uh, during the summer, but it is the exacting question for every Chelsea fan, it seems. I think you're only going to believe in the project when you get a standout striker come in, bearing in mind the injuries that they've got at the moment. Scott, I, I, you know, I don't know what you feel, that the feeling that you get from the fan base, that everyone wants a decent striker. There aren't many in the world that actually you can just go and pluck at the moment, but... You know that that's what Chelsea fans want and potentially need above all else. Yeah, I think I think there would certainly be a lot of people more comfortable if they have that kind of outstanding striker figure who who the burden can be placed upon. Um, I guess so far this season to to place it on strikers at twenty two and Jackson and Ambrosia has maybe been unfortunate, maybe unfair on them as well. Um, but I do think Jackson has probably had a decent goal return for his first season in the Premier League. I think with Osman. Maybe maybe Chelsea should be a little bit wary um, in terms of, you know, that th they've been burned in the past when spending big. A certain Romelu Lukaku um, obviously arrived for massive money a couple of transfer windows ago, and I think he might even be ahead of Osman in that Serie A top goal scorer list this season. So, obviously, Osman, brilliant, brilliant season last year, and I guess rightfully drawn a, a lot of interest, but it does have those kind of worries do, do they transition as well i think that's why it's probably important something like that happens in the summer rather than january if it does happen and i guess with him as well there's obviously the talk of a, a possible move to the, the saudi leagues as well it's again just just uncertainty at chelsea and i think you know that Nkunku situation and what he can provide will will really inform that and if he comes starts in some really good form i think the chatter of a new striker probably dampens down a little bit as well yeah, I think that's part of the problem, isn't it, from Chelsea's perspective, Ben, that, that you've gone and spent a lot of money on a striker and you've not seen him, effectively. Yeah, but also Christopher Nkunku is not expected to lead the line, so there's an opportunity for him to come in, score goals and develop a partnership with someone and then you alleviate the burden. So it's not just about Nkunku being in place of a striker. I think it's more about understanding whether Nkunku plus Sterling plus Mudrick plus Palmer and so on, Broya can get enough goals to get Chelsea where they need to be this season and then you wait until the summer because there's no point in buying for the sake of it. So I think everyone wants a striker, everyone wants a solution, but ultimately if you can't get the right name and Chelsea want elite, they don't want necessarily potential they don't want a maybe type player that could take to the Premier League. They either want to move. That's why I thought it was an inter interesting question you asked him about uh, about Benzema, Ben, because you know for for six months, you know he could probably operate in a role that would be beneficial for uh, Chelsea. But but Fabrizio was poo pooing that idea, saying that that's not going to happen because he's still very much part of the Saudi project. Well, I think not necessarily part of Alitihad's thinking in the long term, that's a discussion that still needs to happen because maybe the new manager who's replaced Nuno Marcelo Gallardo has got different ideas. But 
you have to appreciate with a Saudi exit, which is why it's so complicated. The Ministry of Sport have to be on board. PIF have to be on board. PIF are the controlling owners of the club. But within the club and away from the PIF ownership, there's day-to-day -day people as well that have an opinion. Then there's the football opinion and the Benzema opinion. So everyone has to get on the same page in the next two weeks. And I think that's going to be relatively difficult because if he leaves, the ministry may feel it's damaging to the wider Saudi Pro League. So Chelsea could do nothing and wait. And that will tell you that they're obviously confident in doing summer business with somebody. Alternatively, they could buy old, in which case Benzema links may materialise. But this is about Chelsea discussing internally what they want to do. This is not to say Chelsea have made an approach at this point for Karim Benzema. And we need to be very clear on that. Or they can buy young, which may get the fan base saying not again. But it's an indication once more that they're looking for somebody that can be an investment, not an expense, which is why you don't pick Benzema and you go for a younger player. And then again, you wait for Osaman or Ivan Tony in the summer. And that's where, for example, Antonio Nusa could come in, a player that Chelsea have looked at before. But ultimately, you don't buy for the sake of buying. And I think that everyone that's a Chelsea fan is asking, who are they going to add that's going to turn this around? And the answer to that question, regardless of if they bring someone in in January, might be nobody because Osaman, summer. Tony, summer. Santiago Jimenez, summer. Some of the other top names that maybe are the right fit, more likely the summer. And this is the challenge. January is a seller's market, not a buyer's market. There's two weeks left. And if you want a name now, you've got to be able to spend big and persuade them. Why would Victor Osaman want to commit to Chelsea now, even if a clause was triggered, and leave, likely, after the Africa Cup of Nations with no time to think about it, with no time to assess any other offers, with no knowledge, really, of Chelsea's project in terms of how will Pochettino be assessed during the summer? Where are they going to finish in the league table? Are they going to get any European football? Are they going to win the League Cup? Osaman's not going to be short of suitors. So, of course, he's going to wait. And then in the summer, he'll know what Chelsea have got next season. He'll know what others have got next season. He'll know if Pochettino has turned things around. He'll know how Nkunku has settled in. All of these questions will be answered, or at least there'll be more clarity on them. With Ivan Tony, he'll know how he returns from his ban for betting breaches. He'll give some reward to Brentford. He'll then know whether they're still in the Premier League or not. And again, he can start to make his decision. So this isn't only about the pull of Chelsea, which I think is bigger for younger players because Chelsea come calling and you're like, wow. But when you've got a more established player, the player will have some control of the narrative. So it's not only about what Chelsea want. It's also about the player's perspective. And I think as great a club as Chelsea are, these more established names are well within their rights, not just for Chelsea, but for everybody to wait until the end of the season because it's easier to move for you and your family. You've got a full pre-season and you know exactly what you're getting in the following season. If you make the decision now, there's always a danger, not just for Chelsea, but for any club, that that decision backfires because something might change between now and the end of the season. I mean, Jordan makes a point, you know, to give the rest of the dressing room, Benzema's level of experience would be invaluable for Chelsea. Um, I, it makes sense on so many levels. It does. But technically, I think um, uh, Ben has sort of knocked that one out of the park because of the difficulties of him coming out of uh, Saudi. I, I want to turn our attention slightly, Scott, to Pochettino. Now, listening to what Fabrizio Romano had to say, Chelsea are happy at the moment. 
Chelsea will certainly let Poch go through to the end of the season. Whatever happens in the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final against Middlesbrough, and many would expect them to win and then go to the final anyway. Um, but what is the sense from the stands, do you feel, about Pochettino and the disquiet that there was uh, at that semi-final first leg defeat and thinking that, hang on, that something is seriously wrong if you're losing to Middlesbrough. And Middlesbrough had been good for part of the season, then hit a, a sticky uh, a patch, but looked good for their victory. Yeah, it, it's been really difficult to assess where Chelsea are at, I think not just for the club themselves, but for supporters as well. Um, they've obviously hit these runs and recorded some great results like the 4-4 against Manchester City, obviously performed well against Arsenal, defeated Tottenham. But I think while you know early in pre-season you could see a very established plan and things seem to be, be developing, it's been more difficult in the club's difficult moments to always see that. Um, ben obviously mentioned that Colwell at left-back. That's something fans have really kind of struggled to accept. And he's somebody that did struggle in that Middlesbrough match in particular. So that kind of came to a bit of a, a point at that uh, moment. And I just think that there is a, you know, a cohort of fans who are willing to put pressure on Pochettino. Um, the, the results this season on the whole still have not been good enough. There was maybe not a, an expectancy that they would qualify for Champions League football, but there was a hope they would be competitive in every moment. So there is that kind of delicate balance that they, they, they are required to take, I think. And, you know, if they, if they don't go through against Middlesbrough, that there will be, you know, social media will be an uproar about where Chelsea are at and there will be certainly an increased level of scrutiny. But I think for the moment, certainly from, from a club perspective as well, the the kind of ability to qualify for Europe is really important. So that, that kind of helps paint things in a certain light, but the kind of almost less intangible aspects where fans are less keen to maybe attach themselves to that Chelsea did have success throughout their difficult period at the start of the season. In terms of expected goals, that thing everybody loves to hate or hates to love maybe. Um, they they were proven successful. They didn't lose many halves of football in that. I think only maybe um, against Newcastle and a half against uh, Manchester United are the ones that stick out of as really bad moments. There are things to take confidence from, but I think we, we kind of come back to this ability to score goals, ability to break down who would be traditionally considered poorer sides, and you know really, and I guess it boils down to this idea of a striker once again. The, the kind of absence of certain patterns of play that you would usually expect to see from a top-tier side, they are things that kind of alert and will worry fans. And that there's still ultimately a lot to prove. And I, don't get me wrong, I think there's lots of very good reasons why things aren't coming to fruition at the moment. It's, you know, the summer was kind of mad in terms of how much turnover there was. These are young players not just getting used to each other and playing football at Chelsea. They Lots of them moved to new places. Even the likes of Cole Palmer, I think, admitted in an interview recently. Moving just from Manchester does does have its difficulties. The injuries haven't made things simple. That I think Pochettino said, and it might have even been after that Middlesbrough game, they're in a constant fight to find balance in the side because mm -hmm. of these issues. And I think that's something that you kind of... It's easy to write off um, because this is Chelsea and they should be winning and they should be competing for the, the very biggest moments. But they are things, as the injuries are reined in, as these players settle in for longer, they kind of 
need to deliver. They need to answer the questions for fans because at the moment it still is kind of teetering on that balancing point. And while the club might be happy for the moment, I think, you know, certainly some fans are perhaps less convinced by, by not just the team, but by Pochettino as well. But I think there is also a strong sense that, you know, moving Pochettino on wouldn't achieve anything anyway. I think this is still seen as a, a wider, um, perhaps problem, you put it that way, but wider part of the process, a wider part of, of the development of the team as a whole. I think you look as from an outsider and you go, well, if, 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 ever's, if, if there is ever a club who can cope with injuries, it has to be Chelsea when you've got so many players on the books. I know they can't all play, um, but you're going through that list of players that, it, that are out and you're talking about 10 uh, or plus players being injured consistently. You cannot expect a manager to find any sort of consistency with that level of um, injury going on at the club. And, you know, you look at what, the, yes, the way um, he played around, left players out against Middlesbrough, and, and he's just trying to find solutions because clearly the injury list is such that, that he can't find any other way of solving his problems. One of the problems, I mean, I'd say to you, Ben, is is the talk over Conor Gallagher the whole time and whether he's got any future at the club when in perhaps if there were uh, other players fit, he, he would have gone a long time ago. Yeah, there's been a few windows, seemingly every window where Conor Gallagher has been linked with various clubs. And I think the fan base have warmed to Gallagher. And also he's obviously been captain in the absence of Rhys James and Ben Chilwell. So there's a big decision to make. I still think, and put it in the chat if you disagree, that if everyone picked their fit starting 11 for the first game of next season, Gallagher wouldn't be in that midfield. Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo would, and there's no space for Gallagher to play further forwards in a 4-2-3-1. But that doesn't mean that he's not a valuable squad player that can continue to change people's minds. So it's a fascinating situation. If we take away the name and the circumstance, much like with Mason Mount, and only look at the club policy, then if a player's in the last two years of their contract, the opportunity to sell them might be too good to turn down. And that is Chelsea's policy. Any player, regardless of name, if they enter the last two years of the contract, will have an offer considered. But that doesn't mean that the club are transfer listing them, and it doesn't mean that the club are offering them. It simply means if the right offer at the right number comes in, the club hierarchy will consider it. And Pochettino will input, and Gallagher could block it. But it's difficult for a player, much like Mason Mount found, if you want to stay, and that's Gallagher's starting position, should a new deal not be offered, eventually you start to feel surplus to requirements. So the situation with Gallagher at the moment is very simple. There's been no formal approach from Tottenham. Last window, they came with an offer of between 30 and 35 million, and it didn't advance to anything too formal because Tottenham were put off by Chelsea's valuation. So he didn't move. And now Tottenham still admire Gallagher, but the price has gone up to somewhere in the region of at least 45 million guaranteed, and maybe a total package of closer to 55 million or 60. So that's 20 odd million more than Tottenham wanted to pay only a few months ago, which makes it very difficult under Daniel Levy to see anything progressing. And I don't think, Scott, Chelsea will come down on their price because even if Gallagher leaves, even if there's no new contract, even if this gets resolved in the summer, right now, 
I don't think that Chelsea will sell Conor Gallagher for under 45 million and maybe not under 55 million. And I just think for Tottenham to spend that amount, it doesn't feel value compared to where they were in the last window and the financial reasons why they walked away. Yeah, for sure. And I think West Ham had a bid rejected for Gallagher in the summer as well. I think that was around that 40 million mark. And I think what Gallagher has done this season, he's kind of made himself indispensable to the team in many ways. And that becomes that kind of phrase of what is he now worth to Chelsea? And certainly this month, um, what is he worth to Chelsea in comparison to what he is worth for a team like Tottenham for the role he might play at a team like Tottenham as well? A team not short of talented midfielders themselves. I think. Pivotally, this month in particular, while the club obviously have an expectation of what they would require to agree a deal for, for Gallagher's part, I think it would be a really big moment in terms of fan relations that we were speaking about before because he has mm. played such a pivotal role because he has probably, maybe Cole Palmer's side, been their player of the season so far. To let somebody of his ilk go, somebody who has been captain, as Ben said, would kind of be a real sign of, of the intention for the rest of the season as well. And maybe one that's hard to spin in a positive way to the fan base. And I think that is something that is going to, you know, ensure Chelsea remain very firm on any price that they, they have um, in terms of expecting for Gallagher. And, and, you know, they've shown maybe in the last 12 months that, that they will hold firm if there's a fee that they want as well. They obviously had those negotiations with Manchester United for Mason Mount in the summer. And I guess there's no reason to, to expect Otherwise, at this moment, and I think, as Ben said, there's not really any expectation that Gallagher's going to push for a move at this moment. I guess while he's starting lots of games, seems to be um, very close to Pochettino and have a big fan in Pochettino as well. He's maybe content for the moment and willing to see what options are out there when things are a bit more precarious, perhaps. Yes, thanks for your comments. Look, the... All on um, Conor Gallagher here. I agree with Ben. This is uh, the commoner. He's important if we're competing on all fronts. Chelsea should keep him. There are plenty of other pure profit players that we can sell. Uh, Karen Dar, keep Connor until the summer at least. We need him right now. I'd still keep Gallagher in the squad. Cello saying that Gallagher is a conundrum. I like him, but not sure how good he is. He gives everything for the club, though. I don't think that is in doubt. Here's another question, Ben, though. And we touched on this with um, with Fabrizio. Looking at a left-back for Chelsea, is that more urgent than um, anything else at the club? Because Levi Colwell can't surely keep playing there. Well, Pochettino needs to answer that question because even when there have been options to move Colwell to centre-back, he stayed at left-back. And... I'm a bit baffled because even though Pochettino knows far more than me, he's a trained coach. First of all, I asked him in quite a frosty exchange when there was still a lot of hype around, will he stay at Chelsea or can Brighton somehow factor him into the Caicedo deal? And Scott was there as well. We were in America in the preseason. And I don't know if he misinterpreted the tone of my question, but I basically said, you played Levi Colwell against Brighton. And we were under the impression because Colwell had returned from the under 21 euros and he wasn't necessarily up to speed. We were under impression in the build up to the game that Colwell might not start that game. And he started. And afterwards, I basically said, was that a statement to Brighton that he's your player? And Pochettino said, I didn't need to make any statements. Levi Colwell is our player and he's one of the best centre-backs in England. 
So if that's Pochettino's opinion, is this an inspired conversion that will pay off in the long run to left back? Or is it just out of necessity? And if it's out of necessity, at that point when Colwell started playing as left back, you had Ian Matson, who, yes, had had an encouraging preseason in a more advanced position, but he's a left back. You had Mark Kukurea, left back, fit, and Lewis Hall, who not every Chelsea fan is particularly enamoured to see going off to Newcastle United with a clause that will become an obligation. So I'm told he's as good as gone, even though it's technically a loan at the moment. So Chelsea have had left-back options. They've not all been fit at the same time. Chilwell obviously out and is now back. So it is going to be very interesting to see whether or not Chelsea feel that Ben Chilwell can be left-back and then Levi Colwell can go and play centre-back or Colwell stays left-back and then does Ben Chilwell, your vice-captain, end up on the bench? Is he in a more advanced position? Are they competing for the same position? So. There's still a bit of depth there, but I think Chelsea could do with one more. But what baffles me, Scott, is just if they bring in another left-back, and I suppose on paper, that is, as Angus, you suggest, a priority. They've got to be better than Matson. They've got to be better than Lewis Hall. Or why on earth have Chelsea allowed Hall to go and Matson to go? They've got to be better, either long-term prospect better or depth player now better. Otherwise, I just cannot understand the logic of allowing both Hall and Matson to go. Yeah, I ended up. I think it's obvious that there maybe is a certain type of left back that Pochettino prefers. I think Hall and Matson obviously have this kind of attacking tendency, perhaps not as tall as, as um, many people would like it in the back line. Obviously, Chilwell again, an attacking uh, left back, and I think it's just kind of really interesting to see how that's developed. I think. With Colwell certainly early in the season, it maybe made a little bit more sense. The back line was very flexible. Chilwell was on the wing, but also coming as a wing back, playing centre uh, midfield. Colwell was kind of flitting between a full back and one of three centre backs. Whereas that kind of transformed with Chilwell's injury and a few other injuries in the team as well to become a very straight full back from Colwell. And he obviously has good moments. He can defend well, he can play along the line. But I think he even admitted himself, he's finding it unusual to not have the expanse of the pitch ahead of him to distribute the ball he's perhaps slower on the turn against faster wingers and I think you know looking at another defender as you say it becomes almost baffling because Chelsea I guess after last January when they had a massively bloated squad have kind of wanted a more strict kind of set of numbers certainly under Pochettino who prefers a smaller squad anywhere um to not kind of overburden anybody. And they've been very careful to perhaps not bring players in. Uh, they haven't had players go out. And I think that's got to be a really big consideration as well. I think Colwell, for the moment, obviously is preferred at left back. Um, it will be interesting to see how Chilwell kind of pans out. But I think there will be some reluctance unless, again, the right player is available to add another body to the squad ahead of the summer as well. Ben, let's let's wrap this up. And, uh, you know, the question we're asking, is the Chelsea project working? We can clearly see there are issues and, and there are personnel issues. And that has been exacerbated, obviously, by huge injuries. But I just wonder whether you feel this project is working. There is a steady climb up the hill back to where Chelsea once were. Bearing in mind this is a different way of running a club, where if it had gone 
previously this sort of indifferently, there would have been changes all over the place under the uh, Abramovich regime. Yeah, but if Abramovich had changed managers and the new managers had inherited this squad, I'm not sure that Chelsea would have had the success spikes that they got from those managerial changes because every time Abramovich changed the manager, or most times it worked, but that manager walked into an experienced dressing room full of characters, full of leaders and full of stars. If the same managers had come in under Abramovich and walked into this squad, then maybe the same return would not have materialized. And I think that's a very key point. I think that the project is working strategically and multi-club ownership takes time to build. Stadium takes time. And even if a decision is made after consultation, won't be there until I think the earliest 2030. Stability takes time and identity takes time. So we can see there from Chelsea Tings, a pattern of play is what Chelsea need? Well, yes, but to get the pattern of play, to get the leadership, you need a manager to be stable and to galvanise a dressing room. And it might take a season or two. So I still think we need to fully judge Chelsea after this four window plan, which means that by the first 10 games of next season, we'll know whether there is genuine progress or whether it's still inconsistent. So I do think that the project foundationally seems sensible and will pay off. But I think right now, if you remove that P word and just think about Chelsea, not project, not bigger picture, not stadium, not multi-club, not young talent like a Kendry Paez that's going to break through one day. If you only look at Chelsea now, so this season, that's when I think the project is maybe quite extreme And coupled with the project, there has to be exceptions to the project. There has to be rule-breaking the project. It can't be so rigid that you don't say, wait a minute, we need to pivot. We need to go against the project and we need to get someone in for the now. We need more experience. So I think that flexibility is or has been lacking at times. And maybe Chelsea's recruitment team and owners need to listen a bit more to the manager who they are believing in and try and adapt and just wait the strategy a little bit more for the now and a little bit less for the future. So yes, the project is working. And if we had a time machine and went to, I would say, mid-season 2024, 2025, I think a lot of people might be eating humble pie. But to get there at the same time as believing in the project, you have to adapt And I think it's really important that Chelsea within their hierarchy have freedom to challenge, learn from their mistakes and are more flexible because if they're only project focused and they're not now focused or Chelsea focused, then there's always a danger that the project is so ambitious, but also quite extreme and unique that it might not work because it is risk reward. So it is very important that Chelsea don't forget about the now Because if they don't fix the now, they won't have a future with who's there at the moment because they won't get the stability necessary for the project to succeed. So on paper and strategically, I think absolutely the project is working. But practically, there needs to be some tweaks and some adaption to allow Chelsea to get through the now in order to succeed in the future. Yeah, and I wonder whether that is, you know, finding a bit of bit of experience. Many of the comments we've had today is having a first team of only young players with no experience to help develop on the pitch. 
won't help. It needs, I think all good teams need a blend of that experience somewhere in the side, helping out uh, the fresh youth that that, uh, can certainly drive a team forward. And I, I wonder if you feel, you know, in, in summary, Scott, that's, that's where Chelsea need to be. Yeah, I think that there still just remains these moments where an experienced head can often drag a team through a game. And I think it's in those moments, those games where you feel Chelsea should win, but they can't get over the line. And if a few more of those can be teetered in the right direction, things start to look a lot healthier on the Premier League table in terms of the results, the form. And, you know, there's a bit more positivity for fans to hold on to. I think so often... You see with Thiago Silva, who's had a decent season, but not kind of spellbinding by any means. And you see the attachment he has with Chelsea supporters and how willing they are to get behind him as an experienced head of this side. It's really telling that the team does need that. The team needs, I guess, these players that are in it now as well to become those experienced players so that they can form a connection with fans. Perhaps why the likes of Conor Gallagher becomes so important this season. And once they can kind of form those bonds as a team and find out who the leaders are in the team, as well as they still continue to get to know each other, that will help progress. That will help Pochettino know he, who he can rely upon week by week. Obviously, the likes of Raheem Sterling still there as an experienced head, but perhaps not a leader in the traditional sense or a very British sense that we, we come used to seeing um, in the figure of like a John Terry, who Chelsea obviously have been so um, privileged to see play for so often. Um, so yeah, if, if they can land somebody like that, brilliant. But I guess finding a leader doesn't always come as easily as that either. Perhaps they need to be formed and developed at the club, and and maybe they can find something in the next you know six, twelve, eighteen months there as well. Guys, thank you both very much indeed. Thank you all for your comments and questions as well. Um, Scott Trotter from Football London. It's been great to have you on the debrief. We welcome you back anytime, Scott. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. Keep up the good work. And- Scott. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, and Ben will be back next week um, with the debrief as ever. Uh, have a busy week, but look after yourself and we'll see you next week. Look forward to it.